So Disney has remade The Lion King. Uh, it's playing in theaters now, this theater now, into a live-action movie moving on from the animated film that many of us know so well. I've not yet had a chance to see it, but I understand that the plot is pretty similar, uh, pretty much the same as the original. And it's a story about a pride of lions. Uh, their leader, their king, Mufasa, is a great and a noble lion who is their awesome leader. Uh, and his brother, Scar, is a very jealous lion. He wants to be the king of the pride, and so he struggles with uh, him being below his brother. And he can't stand it when uh, Mufasa and his wife give birth to their child, uh, a male boy, Simba, uh, who is now the designated heir. Whenever Mufasa dies, Simba will become the king. This pretty much pushes Scar, uh, the king's brother, off the the. the, the over the line, maybe, over the limit. And so uh, he can't stand it. And so he, he plots and he comes up with this uh, really smart way of getting rid of his brother. And he, he causes for his brother to be killed at his own hands. Uh, and he, he frames his nephew Simba to where everyone thinks that it's his fault, including Simba himself. And so Simba becomes racked with guilt. I want to show you an old school clip from the very first movie uh, in which Simba has discovered that his father's dead uh, he's feeling guilty for that. And watch how easily his uncle manipulates that guilt. Check this out. So Simba feels guilty for something that's not his fault, and his uncle Scar is easily able to manipulate him into taking the full brunt of that guilt. And he runs away, and Simba grows up apart from the pride. And so in his place, the Scar, his uncle, steps in and becomes king and becomes an evil ruler. And the pride suffers. And so in the midst of that, Simba stays in isolation and he grows up to be uh, a strong young lion, but he still is racked with guilt and he won't go back to his people, he won't go back to the lions that need him. And he's not aware of how terrible things are. All he can focus on is the guilt that is just so overwhelming to the point of paralyzing him, preventing him from being who he was born to be, the rightful ruler, the good, strong king of his people. Guilt can have that effect on us. So I want to shift gears now from Simba and this movie, which of course is just a made-up story, even though it has some important lessons to teach us. And I want to shift the gear now to you and me. And I want us to think about guilt in our lives. And I also want to make the jump not from feeling guilty about things that we don't deserve to feel guilty about. We can just kind of scrap that. I want us to look at real guilt in our lives things that we have done that we shouldn't have done that are wrong, and we know it, and we feel bad about that. And I want us to think about that uh, and, and think about how that affects us in our lives because there's a place for guilt. Guilt can be good, but at some point, we are supposed to get past guilt and to move on and to move forward with our lives. But I think like young Simba uh, in this movie, sometimes when we're wrestling with guilt, Sometimes we can allow that guilt with our focus on it so much that, that it can overwhelm us and paralyze us even as it did with this young lion cub in this movie to the point where we can't get past our guilt. We hang on to things that have been forgiven a long time ago, but we choose to focus on those and spend our time and our energy in that place. And so when we do that, we can become trapped in the past. We can become trapped in things that we've done and we refuse to move forward to the person that God calls us to be and wants us to be, and this can, this can hurt our life. 
It can prevent us from living life to the full. It can prevent us from helping people in our lives who need us, from being the parent that we're supposed to be, the grandparent that we're created to be, to the, the colleague that we're supposed to be at work, the student that we're supposed to be, the friend or the family member that we're supposed to be because we're so overwhelmed and paralyzed by this guilt that we should have moved on from. And we hear voices. Maybe it's not the voice of Scar the lion, but but we hear voices, you're no good. You're horrible. You've done terrible things and you don't deserve to be happy. You don't deserve life to the full. How could God love you or want to forgive you? You're a loser and you know that and, and you need to continue to wrestle with what you have done. There's no way that you have an opportunity to move forward and be forgiven and encounter life to the full. We can turn to Scripture in the New Testament from the Apostle Peter who writes this in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Prowls around like a, a lurking lion looking for someone to devour. So we don't have Scar the lion. We have the enemy, the devil, the, the evil one who wants us to focus on what we've done wrong and not move past it. To hear that message that we are no good, that there's no hope for us, that we need to suffer and we don't deserve happiness. How could we dare try to raise our children or our grandchildren in, in ways that because we've done worse than what they've done, how are they supposed to look up to us? And so we become paralyzed with this. We become depressed and we have fits of depression. Some of us turn to addictions, to alcohol or drugs or, or other things, and, and we live and we... We live in this misery of being condemned. How many of us today are, are wrestling with that, that we just feel condemned to live a terrible life, that God can't care for us, that there's not hope, that we're just too horrible for the things that we've done in our past, and there's no, no way that we can move past that, even if we wanted to. Who among us today feels, stands condemned for things that we have done in our lives? The good news is that God sent Jesus to change that. The good news is that God doesn't want us to remain in that place. And so we turn to the fourth book of the New Testament, the Gospel of John. Gospel meaning good news about Jesus. And we hear from John, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, as, as he recounts what Jesus said himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Jesus saw what was going on on the earth, that we are far from God in broken relationships with each other and with God. And so He came and He, he died on a cross and He came back to life so that we can be forgiven so that our guilt and shame can be taken away and replaced with joy and peace and we can live life to the full now and live forever in the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus came. That's the good news. And it means that we don't have to stay stuck in, in condemnation. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. And, and that's our good news today. So if we've been carrying around that guilt, if we've been paralyzed by that guilt, if we've been struggling with condemnation in our life, then you're in the right place because Jesus is the good news and has come to set us free. And that is incredible news. And that's amazing news. And that's great news. But what does that really look like in our lives? 
I've got a friend that I just recently reconnected with uh, who I went to college with, and um, we've been catching up with each other, and uh, he's been married. Uh, he's been dating and been married to the same woman for 11 years. They've had a great life together. They, uh, a year ago, they, they, their daughter celebrated her second birthday, uh, and things were going really well. Uh, but, but a year ago, uh, he discovered that his wife uh, had been cheating on him, having an affair. She was having an affair with a man who was married to another woman, and so uh, she decided that she's going to leave my friend, so she divorced him. And this other guy got divorced from his wife, and now they're living together, uh, and now uh, their daughter, who's now three, this has been a year's time, is now splitting time between her father and her mother, who's now living with someone that she had an affair with. And so as you might imagine, my friend has had a lot of struggles and he, he's been hurt and he still is hurt and he, he feels the ultimate betrayal that, that can happen between a husband and a wife and it shattered his marriage, it shattered his daughter and she's trying to come to terms with this and it's hard for her to even articulate that at, at three years old. It's ruined lives and, and the hard part for him is he looks at his ex-wife and, and, and she seems not to have missed a beat that she's not sorry. She doesn't seem to care that she's hurt him. She's moved on with her life as if nothing's happened. She's just changed men and she's lived, moving forward with her life. And, and, you know, deep down in his heart and guts, he wants her to pay for that, right? And, and it bothers him and he's upset about that. And, 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 and by the way, next week, the sermon that I'm going to be bringing is on vengeance. And we're going to talk about that because it's not just my friend who, who, you know, has these vengeful feelings in our lives. We deal with that as well. We're going to talk about that next week. But another thing that bothers him is she doesn't even seem to have any sense of remorse, any sense of guilt. And so he's a believer. And, and yet he, he, he struggles with questions like if Jesus came to forgive us and not condemn us, does that mean that she just gets to break my heart and nothing happens? You know, and that she doesn't even feel guilt. Is that right? And, you know, how is that fair? How, how, how are we supposed to deal with that? And are, does Jesus come and forgive us and there are no consequences and we walk away scot-free? Can we just do whatever we want? I mean, what's that all about? And he's really wrestling with that. So if Jesus does come not to condemn us, but to save us, what, what's the place of guilt? What are there consequences? And, and what do we deal with? How do we deal with that in our own lives? And so for that, I'd like to take us back in time. And we're going to go to the Old Testament today, about a thousand years before Jesus was born. And the nation of Israel, the chosen nation of God to be a light to the world, to show the world who God, who God is, is doing well. It's doing about as well as it ever has in, in all of history. Uh, it's as big as, as a country as it has ever been, expanded as far as geography. Uh, it's a mighty military nation. It's doing very well, and it has a, a strong leader. His name is David. He's King David. He was anointed by God as a child to be the next king. He battled as a child the Goliath, the giant, the 10-foot-tall man, and, and had victory that God gave him in this special way. And now David is on the throne of Israel, and he's a powerful leader, and he's a hero of the faith, and he's a strong military leader. He's a strong political leader, and he is a spiritual leader because he has a heart that God loves. And that's why he chose him at a young age to be the next king. He saw David's heart, and and David does amazing things, and he has an, an awesome legacy. But David's also a human being, and he makes some big mistakes. And that's where we pick up the story today. Again, about a thousand years before Jesus is born, and David's army is away. It's fighting a war, and he's back home in Jerusalem in the capital in his big castle. And 
kind of taking it easy. And he goes for a stroll one day about the castle there. And, and he sees on a, on a roof nearby uh, this beautiful woman. And her name is Bathsheba. And he sends a messenger to go to figure out who she is. And now you got to keep in mind, David has multiple wives. He has multiple concubines, which are basically women that he can sleep with. And uh, that doesn't sound very godly, but that was what was going on. I don't think God approved of that. But David has all these women in his life, but he doesn't have Bathsheba. And he sees her and and he decides that he wants her. And so he sends and has her brought to the castle there, the kingdom, uh, and he sleeps with her. Now, whether or not she wants to do this, we don't know, right? He's the king. It might have been rape. He might have just, you know, kings get what they want. So we don't know the circumstances or whatever, but he called for Bathsheba. They sleep together. And so he's committed adultery while his army's off fighting faithfully, including Bathsheba's husband, serving the nation of God, fighting in this army uh, while David's home, messing around with, with his wife. And so she becomes pregnant. Uh, and so now David is you know, he's in a tough position. People are going to find out about this. I'm going to have a bad reputation. I got to cover this up. And so he hatches a plan to bring her husband Uriah back home to give him a break from the war, hoping they'll get together. So when the baby's born, that they'll think that it's Uriah and Bathsheba's child. But David uh, brings uh, Uriah back and he discovers Uriah's character is much greater than his own. Uriah refuses to go home and be with his wife because he says, it's not fair. It's not right. My comrades, my colleagues are off in a war fighting. How is it that they're risking their lives and sleeping out in the open and at any moment they could die that I can come home and, and spend this time with my wife? It's just not the right thing to do. And so David is foiled and he thinks of what to do next. So he writes a letter and he gives it to Uriah and says, take this to your commander. And so Uriah takes the letter to the commander and he doesn't read it. And the commander reads it. And David says, I want you to put Uriah at the front of the heaviest fighting. We're right to the enemy. And as soon as you engage, pull everyone back except for Uriah. So he'll be stuck by himself. All right. So David has issued his death warrant and, and Uriah who has been faithful to his wife, who's not been faithful to him, and the, day, and the king has totally betrayed him, now gives him his own death orders that he carries to the commander. Uh, and so the commander follows the, the command by the king. He pulls the army back and Uriah is killed. So now David is the holy man, the king of God, right, doing all these great things. Now he is an adulterer, possibly a rapist, and a murderer. And evidently not feeling anything guilty about it. Just going on. I'm the king. I'm the chosen one of God. We're not sure what's going on in his heart, but God knows what's going on. God doesn't like it. I mean, this, this is the king of Israel. This is the chosen nation to show the whole world who I am. And, and the king has, uh, he's held to a higher standard and he, boy, he's messed up and I got to tell him about it. So God sends a prophet named Nathan to go and to speak to David. And, and Nathan tells David a story. He tells David a story about a man uh, who was a wealthy landowner. He had many flocks of goats and sheep, and that was a sign of wealth back then, a thousand years before Jesus, and he just had everything. And his next-door neighbor uh, had a smaller estate, and he only had one animal. It was one lamb, a small lamb, uh, that he treated more like a pet than he did an animal. Uh, in fact, he treated it like his own child. He'd let it, you know, drink out of his cup at the supper table. He'd let the lamb sleep with them in his bed. I know some of us do that with dogs and cats. Haven't tried that with a, a sheep or a lamb or anything, but th this guy evidently did. And so, uh, so then one day the, 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 the wealthy landowner had a guest come into town, wanted to throw him a party, give him a big meal. Uh, and, and, but instead of taking one of his many thousands of animals to, you know, butcher and then uh, give to his friend a nice meal, he took the man next to him. He stole his lamb. 
the, the little sheep, the lamb, the only thing that he had, and he stole it, he killed it, and he gave it to the man to eat. All right, and so, so Nathan tells David this story, and that's where we come in in the Old Testament in, in the book 2 Samuel chapter 12. David burned with anger against the man who, and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and he had no pity. Right? The irony here is David doesn't realize that's exactly what he's done. Right? He's angry when someone else has done it. Right? But, and he's, he's wrestling with this and he said, that man deserves to die. And, and he just, man, it's, it's awful. And here comes this, this, this penultimate moment as you know, Nathan the prophet, is, he's there with the, with, the, with, the, with the king who's done all this terrible stuff who can have Nathan wiped out you know, if he offends him. But Nathan's a man of God and he's a prophet of God and he's called to stand up to David. And so as soon as David has condemned this man in the story, Nathan says, you are the man. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. And it's not like, hey, you're the man. It's like, you are the man who deserves death. You're the one who've convicted your own self. You're the one who had all the wives and chose to take the one of someone else. And then you had her husband killed when she became pregnant, right? You, David, have messed up. God called him out. When we mess up, we're supposed to be called out. We should feel bad for the wrong things that we do, right? We should be held accountable. God sent Nathan to hold David accountable. That's, That's a part of it, right? And so then David does this. We continue. Then David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. And that seems pretty quick, doesn't it? My friend whose wife left him and is with uh, the man she had an affair with and destroyed my friend's relationships and, and his marriage and, and, and all that kind of stuff. He's like, Kyle, I, I'm not a big fan of King David in the Bible. I know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like to have adultery in life. And I'm having a hard time seeing how God forgave David. I'm having a hard time seeing him as a, as a man of faith because I'm still hurting from what's been done to me. And that just doesn't seem right. And we read the scripture and it seems like, wow, all of a sudden, right? God, you know, David just said, hey, I'm sorry. And God, and God says to Nathan, okay, you know, you're forgiven and you're not gonna die now, right? Which is what he deserved, right? According to the law and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we also don't know the full side of, of David's heart. Remember, he had a heart from God, a heart of God. And, and so in the book of Psalms in the Bible, Psalm 51 in the Old Testament, we're going to read some excerpts from David's prayer to God uh, after he was convicted by Nathan and convicted by God. And, and we see that David does snap out of it, that he is truly remorseful. And let me just read to you a few of these verses in Psalm 51. These are words of David. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Man, how am I going to forget this? I messed up big time, God. Created me a pure heart, O God. I used to have a good heart, but now something's darkness has come in. Give me a pure heart again and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I need you in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore. I need you back, God. I need the forgiveness. I need the pure heart. Grant me a willing spirit and sustain me. So David had true remorse. He had godly sorrow. He he was moved by this. He, 
He was, he was the old David again. He, he was cut to the quick, and, and, and he did what he, what he had to do. He, he apologized, and, and God forgave him. But now there's still consequences that David has to deal with. Whenever we do something wrong, there's different types of consequences. There are earthly consequences, things that happen to us like on the earth. Like if I rob a bank and I get caught, right, then I'm, I'm going to go to jail. Right? If I cheat on a test and I get caught, I'm going, to, I'm going to get an F on that. If, if, if we cheat on our spouse and they find out, they're going to leave us. You know, there's, there's consequences. We're, and we affect other people, right? My friend whose wife cheated on him and left him, right? Their daughter, it's, it's wrecked her life. And so, right, there's, there's earthly consequences that we have to deal with. Right? And then there are the eternal consequences. We, we have guilt. We have shame, right? We're cut off from God. And so we're going to die one day. We're going to spend eternity apart from God. Uh, and we're not going to live life to the full, right? So there's these, there's earthly consequences, there's spiritual consequences, right? So David asks for forgiveness. God grants him forgiveness, but he still has earthly consequences to deal with, right? People are not going to trust David for a while, right? The earthly consequence of David and Bathsheba having this affair together was that their child upon dying would, I mean, upon being born would die. And that, that was an earthly consequence that God enacted upon David and and honestly, that's one of the most challenging passages of the Bible that I can read as a, as a pastor, as a Christian, right? That, that this baby's life is forfeit, this innocent baby who did nothing wrong. Right? And it, I don't think that's God's usual operation. I don't think that's what God does today. I think it's a unique situation because David was the ruler of Israel. He was the king of Israel, the holy favored nation of God to, to show the world who God was. And David was held to a very high standard and and so when he blew it, there was earthly consequences. When we sin, when we do wrong, it affects people that we love. It affects our families. It affects our friends. It affects our neighbors, right? So when we do something wrong, even though we find forgiveness, there are still earthly consequences we must face. Now, the good news as followers of Jesus is that we don't face those alone, that God is with us and God helps us. And God helps us navigate that. In Romans eight twenty eight, it says, in all things, God works for good for those who love him. And so even though bad things happen, right, God's going to bring something good out of that and be with us. But we still have to face those consequences, but not alone. But then with the more spiritual, eternal consequences, right, the guilt we feel, the, the shame we feel, right, that's where God gives us even more good news. Jesus came to take it from us so that we can let go of the guilt, we can be forgiven, we can let the guilt and shame go, and God's going to give us joy now and peace now, and let us be the people God created us to be. We're going to live life to the full while we have breath in our bodies and live on this earth. We're going to live forever in the kingdom of of heaven, and and so the eternal consequences are are a beautiful thing. We don't deserve that. It's, It's based on what Jesus did, but Jesus does that for us. Now, getting back to this whole Nathan and David thing about being convicted, this godly sorrow thing. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he started a lot of churches in the first century. He, he talks about that godly sorrow in one of his letters to one of his churches that was in Corinth, in Greece. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Now, godly sorrow is also another way of saying conviction, okay? So conviction is godly sorrow. So when we do something wrong and we feel bad about that, 
That's the Holy Spirit convicting us, saying, you've done something wrong, right? It's godly sorrow. I'm sorry for what I've done. I've hurt you, God. I've hurt some other people. I've hurt myself, right? And so conviction, right, from a scriptural standpoint, godly sorrow is a gift to us. It's the Holy Spirit coming inside of us, getting a hold of us, like David got a hold of, it was, uh, Nathan got a hold of David and says, there's something not right in your life, and you need to let me help you with that, right? And so, so this phase of guilt, right, conviction, right, this godly sorrow is a good thing because when we feel bad about something, we feel that we've hurt God or let down some other people in our lives, then it leads to repentance, which means to turn away from something. Whatever we've done wrong, whatever that guilt is that we have, the, the terrible thing that we've done, right? We feel sorry about that. God's convicted us of that. The Holy Spirit's inside of that, inside of us. And so we, we repent, we turn away, right? I don't want to be that person. I don't want to do that kind of stuff anymore. I, I, I got to turn away and start new. I need a new chapter. I need a fresh start. I need a new beginning, right? So I need to turn around. I need to turn away to repent, so that I can receive forgiveness. And we can't do that by ourselves. We can only do that with the help of the Holy Spirit, right? We can only do that with Jesus and what he did on the cross, right? We're not strong enough to do that on our own, so the Holy Spirit helps us turn. Jesus comes and he forgives us when we believe that he died on the cross and came back to life, and we say, Jesus, I'm sorry specifically for what I've done. Please forgive me. Help me deal with the earthly consequences. I know they're coming. Help me deal with that. But Lord, take away these eternal consequences and, and help me with my guilt. Help me with my shame. Lord, help me to find forgiveness and peace and help me to be the person you created me to be. Help me move away from condemnation, God. And so again today, how many of us here are under the cloud of condemnation? And so what? So what are we supposed to do? So what is the point? What's the big idea? What... What's God telling us here today? And I think it comes down to this. I think that condemnation shows us the problem, right? And conviction shows us the answer. Condemnation shows us the problem. Yeah, we messed up. Yes, we're sinners. Yes, we're guilty. Yes, we should be ashamed of what we've done. Yes, there are consequences, right? Condemnation shows us the problem, right? But the devil, the evil one, the enemy wants it to stop there, right? You're a loser. You're horrible. You don't deserve life to the full. You don't deserve anything, right? Condemnation only shows us the problem. Conviction shows us the answer, right? The answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus died for us and came back to life so we can be forgiven, so we can have joy and peace, so we can live life to the full, so we can face the earthly consequences and get past them, right? So we can live life to the full now forever in the kingdom of God, right? Conviction shows us the answer. The answer is Jesus. Conviction shows us the answer. The answer is Jesus, right? And so it's a hopeful message. The good news of Jesus is a hopeful message. In Lion King, right? So Simba's away. He's feeling guilty. He's overwhelmed by guilt. Something he didn't do, but it's paralyzed him. And in the meantime, he's not the person he was supposed to be. He's not the person he was born to be. He's not leading his people, right? Scar is leading the, the pride and it, he's evil and the people, are, the lions are suffering. And so one of the lions, Nala comes and says to Simba, man, you got to get over yourself, you got to get past this guilt. We need you. You need to move on and forgive yourself and move forward. And through several events, Simba, the light bulb comes on. 
and he moves past the guilt. He comes back, he battles Scar, he wins, and he becomes who he was born to be, the leader of the pride. He's a good leader, and he helps the people who were hurting because he was so stuck in his own guilt that he didn't get his head out of the sand and do what he was supposed to do, be the person he's supposed to be, right? When we choose to wallow in our guilt, when we choose to go back and back and back to our past and feel bad about things that God's forgiven us for, right, that have been let go of, then, then we're not only hurting ourselves, we're hurting the people that God's created us to help. And usually it's our children, our grandchildren, or the children of the church, or our neighbors, or our friends, or our family, right? When we only choose condemnation and we don't choose conviction, right, then we've sold out, we've lost to the enemy, and we're not just hurting ourselves, we're hurting lots of people. Jesus died not so that we could be stuck in condemnation, so we could find conviction and find forgiveness and live life to the full. And so I'm wondering why you're here today. And I think it might be for one of two reasons. I'm wondering if some of you are here today, some of us are here today because we're under the weight of condemnation. We've done something wrong and it's wrong and we, we need to face the consequences, but, but, but we're so stuck in that past. We're so stuck in, in, in our depression or anxiety or our guilt that, that we, we don't see that people around us need us and we're not being the person God created us to be. We're not living the life God created us to live. And so maybe you're here today so that you can hear the good news of Jesus to say, it's time to move past condemnation, move on to conviction and move on to forgiveness, right? Get your head out of the sand. Quit going back to that, that condemnation, right? Jesus didn't die so you could be stuck. Jesus died so you could be set free. So maybe that's why you're here today. Or maybe you're here today because you're like me in my life sometimes, like all of us in our lives sometimes, like King David. We, we can be good people. We can be good Christian people. We can be trying to do the right thing and we choose the wrong thing sometimes and we really hurt people but we choose not to acknowledge it. We choose not to see it. We, we choose to go on our own way like King David before he was sent Nathan. And so maybe you're here today because God has something to convict you of, that you need to be sorry for something that you've done, that you haven't taken responsibility for, that you haven't approached, that you haven't confessed to Christ, that's between you and someone else, that's between you and God, and it's holding you back from living life to the full. Maybe you're here today to be convicted and to ask God for forgiveness by repenting and saying, God, I need to leave this chapter of my life behind, and I can't do it without you. So why are you here today, brothers and sisters? One more lion story. And that's the story of Jesus. One of the titles for Jesus is the Lion of Judah. Right? There were 12 tribes that made up the original nation of Israel. One of them was Judah. And the tribe of Judah is, from, uh, is the ancestors of, of Jesus. He descends from the tribe of Judah. So he's known as the Lion of Judah. He is the King of Kings. Right? He is the great ruler, the king of all, the king of kings. And, and that lion has come not to devour us, not to wait at our door to devour us, not to condemn us, but to set us free. And so if, if you are in need of letting condemnation go, then you're in the right place. If, if you're in the need of being convicted and, and, and turning to God and receiving forgiveness, you're in the right place because today we celebrate the great gift that Jesus gave us on the cross, especially through the sacrament of Holy Communion. 